Introduction to Confessions of a Book Lover This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Gould Confessions of a Book Lover by E. Walter Walters Introduction by Colson Kernahan Part of the present volume appeared in Great Thoughts. Yet here am I, whose name is associated, if at all in the memory of readers, with little thoughts, and with booklets impudent in the slenderness of their matter, presumptuously standing forth to bow the public into the writer's presence, and essaying to introduce the one to the other. The necessary explanation shall be brief. I must have been a young man, and Mr. E. Walter Walters a boy when he and I last met. Indeed, I am not sure that I altogether remember him but his father, who bore an honored name, I well remember. The Rev. W. D. Walters and my own dear and honored father were personal friends, and when the former son sent me a manuscript of a book with the request that I should write an introduction, how could I do otherwise than exceed and express myself honored by the invitation? That I share all Mr. Walters' wholehearted bookish enthusiasm I may not pretend, for as R. L. Stevenson says in An Apology for Idlers, books are good enough in their own way, but they are a mighty bloodless substitute for life. So long, however, as the reading of it be not allowed to deprive either man or woman of drinking deep at the wells of life, there are few greater joys for young or old than are to be found within the covers of a noble book, and to the enthusiastic book-lover Mr. Walter's volume should prove treasure-trove indeed. He drags, to use a phrase of Stevenson's, with a wide net, but his castings are made for the most part in the same waters. Of the literature of the time of Elizabeth, or even of Anne, he tells us little, and it is not until we come to Goldsmith, Lamb, De Quincey, Lee Hunt, and later to Jeffreys, Thoreau, and Stevenson, that Mr. Walters may be said to let himself go. What my friend Mr. Le Gallienne calls the lilliput of literary London, he wisely leaves severely alone. That Mr. Walters has a pretty sense of humor is clear from the following passage. Here is a copy of Milton's Paradise Lost, hooked in the deep waters of a penny tub. It is calf-bound, mark you, and in fairish condition, though much stained with the passing of years. My heart leaps. It is very old, a first edition, possibly. But no, it is anything but that. Many of the pages are entirely missing, and others partially so. Judged by the books that surround me, it is dear at a penny. Paradise Lost The wordplay is not unworthy of Mr. Zangwill, but when Mr. Walters writes, I have frequently trodden snow-covered ground with my nose a few inches from an open book, I wish him, for the time being, good afternoon, and seek other company, preferably that of some lover of the Emerson who wrote, See thou bring not to field or stone the fancies found in books, leave author's eyes, and fetch your own, to brave the landscape's looks. Or better still, Canst thou copy in verse one chime of the wood-bell's peal and cry? Write in a book the morning's prime, or match with words that tender sky. 
I know a pretty little edition of the Religio Medici, writes Mr. Legallian in his retrospective reviews, which has been quite spoiled for me by the astounding remark of its editor upon Brown's beautiful description of his life as a miracle of thirty years. Yet its actual incidents justify no such description. Mr. Walters will not thus spoil for his readers the work of the writers he loves. He strikes no jarring note. On the contrary, he is capable, when writing of books, book-making, and book-buying, of an enthusiasm which I envy as much as I admire. I have confessed, he says in his chapter on second-hand books, that I am of the company of book-lovers who delight in dipping into the lucky tubs to be found outside booksellers' windows. I know of no pleasanter way of spending a spare half-hour. Give me a few loose coppers, place my feet upon a likely road, and I am content. I am now, let me say, of the happy company of book fishermen. And this, mark you, is fishing in real earnest, this effort to hook good food for the mind, to place in one's basket a book that delighteth and giveth perennial satisfaction. The comparison of a book-seeker to an angler is as happy as it is original, and the phrase, though phrase-making must not be confused, as Leslie Stephen points out, with thought-finding, a book-fisherman has something of Charles Lamb's own self-pleasing quaintness. Lamb would, indeed, appear to be Mr. Walter's favorite author. That he knows his Elia intimately and can interpret him aright to others is clear from the chapter on books and gardens. We are told, said Mr. Walters, that Lamb was a lover of towns and crowded streets. Would it not be truer to say that he was a lover of the conditions in which he chanced to be placed? London claimed him for the sanest reasons, no doubt, and lo, under his pen, London became a garden. This is truly and finely said. Of such acute and illuminative comment, there is no lack in Mr. Walter's delightful book, which should assuredly find a place in the library of book-loving women and men. End of Introduction Recording by Philip Gould